Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. I'll be reading Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Amen. The Apostle Paul speaks about marriage then in Ephesians chapter 5, and he goes on to say in verse 32, this mystery is profound. Now some of you hear Paul's words here and you say to yourself, amen, brother. Marriage is a deep mystery. Wives are saying, I don't get him. Husbands are saying, I don't understand her. It's all a mystery to me. Because people know that marriage is not easy, it should not be a surprise to us that dating websites like eHarmony have become very, very popular. Uh, This particular website helps people to find a dating partner or perhaps even a spouse based on several different levels of compatibility. And so if you are compatible in many different ways, the theory is that you are bound to have a successful marriage, right? Right? Well, maybe not. Here is what ethics professor Stanley Hauerwas has said. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and that if we look closely enough, we will find exactly the right person. But this assumption fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think that we do. Or even if we find the right person, just give it a little while and he or she will change. For marriage being the enormous thing that it is means that we are not the same person after we have entered into it. The primary problem then is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Well, church, this is disappointing, isn't it? Just call me the prophet of doom and gloom when it comes to marriage. Even if you find a perfectly compatible soulmate, at first, that soulmate will change in profound ways over time that you cannot possibly anticipate when you get married. And that person will indeed become a a different person than the one that you originally married. Marriage really is a mystery. How, then, can you have a successful marriage? I'm sure you will be glad to know that I do have some good news for you today with regard to marriage. The good news is that the word mystery in Ephesians 5 and verse 32 is not really talking about an unexplainable phenomenon. Actually, the word mystery can be related to the idea of a secret There is a secret to marriage that Paul wants the Ephesians to know and us to know today. Marriage, Paul says, is a secret. What is the secret? Well, let's look at two aspects to the secret of marriage today from Ephesians chapter 5. First of all, the secret of marriage is that it is about the gospel. Let's examine this word mystery that Paul uses to describe marriage in Ephesians 5.32, when he says, this mystery is 
profound. The word mystery does not refer to some hidden knowledge that is known only to insiders or to some really smart people like you, for example. It refers rather to a wonderful truth that has been previously hidden that God has now revealed to the world. We see that mystery is a truth that is previously hidden but has now been revealed in two other parts of the book of Ephesians. And so if you brought your Bible here today, and I hope you did, I'd ask you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 where we see the first use of the word mystery in Ephesians. Listen as I read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. There we read that God has been making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God had a plan that was hidden in the past. And that plan involved Jesus. Through Jesus, God would bring together heaven and earth. And Jesus would die on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven by God and reconciled to him. This is the gospel mystery that had been hidden in the past, but had now been revealed in Jesus when he came to earth. And another gospel mystery that has been revealed in the book of Ephesians is found in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6. Listen as I read that verse. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Before Jesus came to earth, it was thought that only Jews could be God's chosen people. But when Jesus told his apostles to go out and make disciples of all nations, Gentile nations, another gospel mystery became revealed. The good news about Jesus was for all nations and all peoples, not just for the Jewish people. And so when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul teaches the church about marriage. In verse 31, he quotes from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 in the marriage of Adam and Eve, where God said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now it seems very clear here that Paul is talking about human marriage. Marriage makes a husband and wife one flesh, through their sexual union. But then Paul takes the discussion sideways in verse 32. He says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What? What do you mean, Paul, that you're talking about Jesus and the church? Come on, Paul. You know you're talking about marriage relationships, not spiritual relationships. But the reality is that Paul is talking about a mystery here, something that was hidden in the past that has now been revealed. The mystery, then, is not so much about marriage. Marriage had been going on since the beginning of time when Adam and Eve first got married. There was nothing hidden, then, about marriage. 
But what was hidden was this. Jesus, through the gospel of his death on the cross for our sins, has called a bride to himself in the church. The meaning of marriage, then, is that it is not so much about a union of a husband and wife here on this earth. Marriage really is all about the union of Jesus with his church. That's what marriage is all about. No one understood this mystery before Jesus came. But now the secret is out. Marriage, from the marriage of Adam and Eve until today, has always been about Jesus' marriage to his church. Marriage has always been a picture of the gospel. When two people who may be very different from one another become one flesh, this is a powerful demonstration of God's plan in the gospel to unite everything to Christ. Marriage is a picture, then, of Jesus' love for and his union with his bride, the church. And we didn't get this picture about marriage until Jesus came. Now, the fact that every marriage is really about the gospel has some major implications for all of us in the church who are married. One of those implications is found for husbands in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. There we read Paul's instruction, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, how are you supposed to love your wives? In what way? Just like who? Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus loves his bride, we as husbands are to love our wives. Why? Because marriage is about the gospel. Your marriage, then, is not really about you and your spouse. Your marriage is about Jesus and the church. It's about revealing Christ's love for his church to a world that is watching your marriage. Therefore, husbands, love your wives, Paul says, just like Jesus loves his wife, the church. Just before I got engaged to be married myself, I heard a story about a man who loved his wife like Jesus loves the church. The man's name is Robertson McQuilkin, and in 1990, Dr. McQuilkin resigned his position as the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary in South Carolina prematurely. He resigned prematurely because his wife, Muriel, needed his care. Muriel had Alzheimer's disease. And so when Dr. McQuilkin was with his wife, she was calm and she was at peace. But whenever he went to work in the morning, she became very agitated and distressed and panic-stricken. And so when Dr. McQuilkin walked the half mile to school every day to his job, Muriel would often try to follow her husband there, and she would sometimes make 10 trips a day to the school looking for her husband. 
And so when he took her shoes off at night, Dr. McQuilkin sometimes found her feet bloodied from all of the walking that she was doing, looking for her husband in her fear and in her panic. So just like Jesus did for his church, Dr. McQuilkin would wash his wife's feet at night. And just like Jesus did for his church, Dr. McQuilkin sacrificed himself. He sacrificed his position at the school prematurely in order to take care of his wife and her needs. He gave up himself for his wife. He lived out the gospel by dying to self and giving himself away for his wife. This morning I want to let you know that I am proud that there are husbands like that here at Hope Baptist Church. These marriages are preaching the gospel to me. And they're preaching the gospel to our church. And they are preaching the gospel to our community. These marriages have the same sacrificial love that Jesus has for his church. And these marriages are a model for all of us to follow. Thank God that we have marriages like this at Hope Baptist. When you look at Jesus' marriage to his bride, the church, you see two things very, very clearly. The first thing you see is that marriage is painful. It hurts sometimes to be married. After all, what did it cost Jesus? It cost him his life to be married to his bride. But marriage is also wonderful. It is a beautiful thing to be loved and to love in such sacrificial ways. In our culture, unfortunately, people seem to be focusing more on the painful parts of marriage. In 1960, 72% of American adults were married. But in 2008, do you know what the percentage had dropped to in terms of the number of adults that were actually married? It's actually dropped down to 50% of American adults, from 72%, 50 years earlier, down to 50% of adults in this country are now married. Now, why do you think there has been such a major decline in the number of adults who are married? I think it's because marriage is hard. And because it is hard, some people think that one solution to the difficulty of marriage is to live together first before you get married. The thinking is to give the relationship a test drive before you actually tie the knot. That way you can be really sure if you are right for each other, if you are truly compatible with one another. But let me ask you this. Do you think that people who live together before marriage are more likely to get a divorce after marriage or less likely than other couples to get a divorce? What do you think? Well, you would think that they are are less likely to divorce. After all, they've done the whole trial marriage thing. They know that they are compatible with their spouse if they actually choose to tie the knot. So they should be less likely to divorce, right? Wrong. Actually, statistically, people who live together before marriage are much more likely to get a divorce after marriage. Here's one reason why, possibly, that they do that. 
I think that perhaps they have always had one foot out the door. They have always been thinking to themselves, well, if things get hard, I can just leave. And they take that same attitude with them into marriage. If things get hard, I can just pull out. They're forever keeping their options open. I am really thankful that Jesus does not have this type of attitude toward his bride. Every day, I give Jesus a reason to leave me. Every day, I am unfaithful to Jesus in some way. But you know what? Jesus never leaves. He always sticks with me. And I am thankful for that. Since marriage is about the gospel, let me encourage you to focus more on the wonderful aspects of marriage rather than in the pain that sometimes comes in our marriages. The gospel certainly brought pain to Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. But the gospel also brings all of Jesus' wonderful love to us. And the same is true in marriage. Here are some statistics about the goodness of marriage that follows in the footsteps of Christ's marriage to his church. What percentage of married couples would say that they are very happy in their marriages? I'm not just talking about happy here. These are couples who are saying, I am very happy in my marriage. What percentage do you think of couples would say that? Well, I think that I don't know too many happy marriages. There's, there's not too many of those around. But statistically, what you find is consistently 61, 62%, somewhere in there, say that couples are very happy with their marriages. Other parts of their lives might not be going so well. But with regard to their marriage, what they're saying is 61 to 62% of married couples are saying, I am very happy with this marriage. Wouldn't you say, that's pretty good? I'd say, that's really good. And about two-thirds of couples who are saying in the surveys that I am currently today unhappy with my marriage, those couples, two-thirds of those couples, will become happy in their marriage within five years if they stay married and don't get divorced. So if you're unhappy today, if you stick it out, If you stay married, within five years, most couples will report in five years' time, today, I am very happy. People who are married then show much higher degrees of satisfaction with their lives than those who are single, those who are divorced, or those who are just living together. Marriage, then, is good, In God's words, in Genesis chapter 1, marriage is very good. I think it is so good because marriage is about the gospel. We worship a very happy God. God is not depressed this morning on the throne of the universe. He's very happy. And you know who God is especially happy with? His bride, the church. Jesus loves his wife. And so it is not surprising that most people who choose to be married are also mostly very happy. Well, the secret of marriage, then, it is really about the gospel. Okay? The secret of marriage also is that it only works 
if we follow Jesus in self-giving love. Notice again how Jesus loves his bride in the church in Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Listen as I read that verse again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus showed his love for his wife by doing what? By sacrificing himself and giving up his life for the church. He literally died for her. So husbands, I have good news for you today. Your wife is not asking you to die for her today. That's a relief, isn't it? That's not what she's asking. But I do believe that your wife is asking that you would live for her today. Not to die for her, but to live for her. She is asking you to make the small sacrifices every day that would communicate to her that she is not the last thing that you are thinking about in your day. She needs to know that you truly love her. And one way that you show that you love your wife is that you make sacrifices for her. When you elevate your wife's interests and concerns above those of your own, that communicates love to her. You are giving yourself away for her good. This lack of self-giving love is a reason why 45% of marriages in the United States end in divorce. We have already seen that marriage is difficult, marriage is struggle, because the people in marriage are always changing. We don't marry the same person all the time. We are married to very different people throughout our marriage. Marriage and life change us. And so we are not the same people we were when we first married. But marriages are also unsuccessful for a theological reason, a theological reason that is found in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Let's read that verse together out loud. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how many people in this world have sinned? That would be all of us. Every single one of us has sinned. All people then are by nature selfish. We have a soul that is curved in on itself. Where are our eyes always looking? Right at me. That's where we always look, to ourselves. It's sin that makes marriage so painful and so hard. We read what Paul says to the Ephesian church about marriage, that We should love as Christ loves his bride, the church. And we say to ourselves as husbands, I can't do that. On my better days, I want to do that. But I don't have the power to love my wife like Jesus loves his wife. I'm selfish. I can't give myself away like Jesus did. This world recognizes its own selfishness when it comes to marriage. In the past, people understood that marriage was a permanent union for bringing glory to God, for bringing good to the couple and good to any children that were produced by the marriage and good to the society as a whole. But today, people believe that marriage is all about me. My marriage is about fulfilling me 
and my individual goals. It's not about anybody else. Marriage has been redefined to mean finding the emotional and sexual fulfillment that you long for, as well as self-actualization. This view about marriage was recently written about by a New York Times columnist with the unfortunate title, The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage. In the article, the columnist wrote, In modern relationships, people are looking for a partnership, and they want partners who make their lives more interesting, who help each of them obtain valued goals for themselves. The columnist was clear. Marriage used to be a public institution for the common good, but now it is a private arrangement for the satisfaction of the individuals. Marriage used to be about us, but now it's about me. But if you're going to have a me marriage that works for my satisfaction, that is going to require two completely well-adjusted, happy individuals with very little in the way of emotional neediness in their own character or character flaws that need to be fixed. And how many of those types of people do you know who are completely well-adjusted? How many people like that do you know? I don't know too many. Because of the fact that we are all sinners, it's hard to find anybody who's actually completely psychologically well-adjusted. So if you are looking for a me marriage, where marriage is all about fulfilling me and my wants and my needs, your marriage honestly is doomed from the start. Marriage, according to Jesus and according to Ephesians 5, is not about self-fulfillment. Marriage is actually about self-denial. Now, we've already seen that marriage does lead to happiness and does lead to fulfillment. But the only way you get there is by first living a life of self-denial. Marriage begins with self-giving love. But because we sinners are naturally selfish, we rebel against this whole idea of self-giving love. It's too hard. It's too painful. But listen to what C.S. Lewis has written about love. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Now, it is an option to give your heart to no one. But a life without love is not a happy life. It's not the gospel life that Jesus would have us live. Jesus would have us all live a life of self-giving love. It's only this kind of love that leads to a successful marriage. Most of you have been to Bangor here in Maine, but you might not be aware that there is a Bangor in Northern Ireland about 30 miles away from Belfast in Ireland. If you visited Bangor in Ireland, you could see a stately home called Castle Ward, which was built in the 1760s by Bernard Ward, the first Viscount of Bangor, and his wife, Lady Anne. One of the most striking features of this particular house is that it has two completely different styles of architecture. 
Here's a picture of the front of the house, which is built in a, a classical style with columns that are supporting a triangular pediment at the top of the house. So the front of the house is in the classical style. Now I want to show you a picture of the rear of the house, okay, which is built in a more Gothic style with pointed windows, battlements, and filials. So two completely different styles of architecture in the front of the house and in the back of the house. And the difference in style continues throughout, indeed, the entire house, with the house pretty much split right down the middle. Now, you might ask, why? Why would anyone build a house like that? Well, take a guess. Bernard and his wife, Lady Anne, like two very, very different styles of architecture. They could not agree about that. And apparently they could not agree on much of anything else because Lady Anne eventually walked out on the marriage. Now, an optimist might look at this house and say, what a celebration of diversity. Isn't that wonderful? You can bring together all these different styles in the house. What a great thing. But a realist would look at this house and say, what a monument to stubbornness. How stupid is that to get a divorce over architecture? And yet, if we look at ourselves honestly, we must conclude that we at times are just as stubborn and, yes, just as stupid as Bernard Ward and Lady Anne. We are selfish. We must have our own way. We don't have the power to live like Jesus lived. We don't have the power to give ourselves to our wives in self-giving love. But marriage only works if we follow Jesus in the way that he loved his wife. Marriage only works if we live a life of self-giving love. I'd like for us to read out loud what Jesus did for us, how he lived for us in self-giving love from Romans 15, 1 through 3. Let's read together. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So how are we to live? Not to please ourselves, but to please the others around us who we are living with. We are constantly to please our spouse for his or her good. It's not to be about me and my wants and my needs. We are to instead take our spouse's pain and burdens and to bring relief to our spouse. But we have already seen that we don't have the power to live this way. We are selfish. We cannot produce self-giving love in our own strength. And because this is so, we can't have a successful marriage in our own strength. So where does the power to have a successful marriage come from? Well, church, you're going to have to come back next week to find out. <laughs> this is a cliffhanger sermon, okay? 
It's like one of those comic book movies where at the end of it, it's unresolved. You don't know what's going to happen until you get to the next movie, which is going to come out sometime next year. The good news is that the next sermon will come out actually next week, not next year. And the good news also is that you don't have to pay over 10 bucks to hear how the sermon ends. Okay? You can come and find out next week. But while you wait for the answer to the question of where does the power come from to have a successful marriage, remember the secret of marriage. Remember that marriage is primarily about the gospel of Jesus' love for his bride, the church. And remember that marriage only works if we follow Jesus in self-giving love. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for revealing to us the secret of marriage. Thank you that Jesus came to show us that marriage is not so much about human beings coming together. Marriage really is a picture of Jesus' love for us in the church. And so we thank you for that knowledge. We thank you for revealing that secret. We thank you as well that Jesus has given us an example in the church of how to be husband and wife. And so we pray for this particular body of believers. Help us, O Lord, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Empower us to live this way, to bring glory to Christ. In his great name we pray. Amen.